Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Various Artists Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, and my guest this week is another stable mate of mine from Fish Out of Water Books, RJ Fox, after the recent podcast I did with Frank Morelli. RJ, how are you doing? Good, I'm fine. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. That, that's very nice. I mean, you don't normally get people asking the host out there, so that's a nice welcome to you. are in a good place before we go forward, so... Yeah. Why already? This is my favourite podcast already. We'll just end it now, please. Sure. It's all good. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on your, on your podcast. <laughs> um, the Various Artists podcast is a series of podcasts where I'm going to be discussing the processes, experiences, and, and the lives of different creative people, as well as exploring the themes and ideas that are discussed in my own forthcoming novel, Peach, um, by obviously by Stablemate. I'm referring to the um, fact that we're both published by Fish Out War Books, although my my novel's not yet published. It's published this coming November, and RJ, by comparison, is a relative veteran, having just yeah. recently released his second novel with them, Awaiting Identification. That follows... So terms, I have a, a book toddler, a book newborn, and yours is in utero, so I guess you could... <laughs> okay. yeah yeah and uh, it also follows another book called love and vodka which is almost an autobiographical tale as well um rather than let me waffle on and on about it uh, first of all rj you know t- tell me a little bit about the the books um bo- both of the books i know you've published sure. three three books as well so you feel free to give that yeah. a little mention yes well. my my first book um it's uh, it's a memoir about my travel experiences in Ukraine. So back in 2001, I'll just kind of give a quick nutshell of it. Um, I met I met a girl on the ET ride at Universal Studios, and it turned out that she was an exchange student from Ukraine. And I was in L.A. Um, I'm from Detroit, but I was in L.A. for a screenwriting conference. We just happened to meet on this ride. We spoke for 15 minutes, exchanged contact info, and then a year later, um, I was going over there with an engagement ring. So that was the setup to what became Love and Vodka, the book, which is um, just my experiences in, in this bizarre culture, or at least bizarre from my experience in it, um, you know, in Eastern Europe and former Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a travel memoir. It's a love story. And it's I always make sure I point out the fact that we, we were married eight years and the marriage ended up coming to a, a sad ending. Um, but I got remarried and have a family with, you know, and it, it all worked out for everybody in the end. But... Um, the, the book takes place really over the course of um, a, a two-week trip over there, and then a subsequent visit um, was included as well. Um, so, yeah, so it was actually first written as a screenplay. My initial – the writing I was doing for pretty much all the years I've been a writer ha- has been screenwriting. Um, and that didn't – it was actually option to a producer. It never got made. So I'm like, hey, why don't I try turning it into a book and seeing what happens? So then I turned it into a book and shopped it around and – just like any other author who faced tons of rejection. And then finally I happened to find a home at Fish Out of Water Books. Um, and there's a whole story there, too, about how I came across them. I don't know if you want me to get into that. But, yeah, um, please, please do. Please sure. Do. Yeah, so so um, I, I'm a teacher in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and my first year at the school I teach at, I happened to have um, a young a young lad named John – or I'm sorry, Kyle Wilson. Um, and he was a really bright kid, really into video, and, and that's what I teach. And then over the years, I got to know his family because I had him multiple years at the school. Got to know his parents. We became friends just through, you know, um, over the years. And then I was posting pieces on my of my unpublished work on Facebook, and they decided to launch a publishing company. And at the time, 
Um, you know, they were kind of looking to get their publishing company off the ground. They had a book of their own that they were pursuing, but then they realized, hey, why don't we ask, you know, RJ if he if his book's available? Um, and, of course, it was, and it just became a, a beautiful working relationship with them, um, you know, getting the book uh, publication ready, the editing process. Um, I just got so lucky. You know, they're, they're, they they were literally launching their, their business with my book. Um, so we both had the incentive of trying to get our, our name out there and, and really kind of pushing the book and the company. Um, and then just recently, as of a couple or last month, I published my first um, fictional work, um, a novel called The Waiting Identification. Um, and I was, you know, very fortunate that, you know, we both knew we wanted to work together again. Um, in between those two books, I did publish a collection of essays with another uh, publisher uh, called Tales from the Dork Side. And that's just about, really, I kind of consider it like a, a spiritual prequel to Love and Vodka because it, it's all about my days as a, as a youth getting teased and bullied by my peers. And I really think that getting treated that way led to me wanting to pursue writing, kind of forging my own path. And, and I really feel it gave me this sort of um, courage to do something like take an engagement ring halfway around the world in the name of love. Cause I feel like I just got, I just kind of always follow my own path because, you know, my classmates really weren't allowing me on their path. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it's kind of like a, you know, it's a much smaller release than the other two books. Um, but I'm proud of that one as much as the other two. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited with my new book that just came out. Um, cause I had been working on that for 19 years. And much like Love and Vodka, it was first a screenplay, um, option to a producer, never got made. So then I'm like, well, it worked for Love and Vodka, I'm going to turn this into a book. And <laughs> lo and behold, I did. So I've kind of followed this this path of starting with a script, which is really a great blueprint for turning it into a book. Because you have the sort of the skeleton um, in the script form, and then you just have to add the meat and potatoes to it, I guess. Not that our bodies have potatoes, but it's kind of a mixed metaphor right there. No, you see, that's an interesting... So how do you do that? Because I had to do it, funnily enough, I had to do it the other way around. Um, I was asked um, to, to try my hand at adapting, you know, one of my novel, well, one of my stories into a into a screenplay. And, you know, I did what I think is a passable job. I mean, you might look at it as a, as a, as a professional and tear it to pieces. <laughs> it's got, I mean, something that reads like, reads like a screenplay. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. As, as far as my limited experience goes from, I mean, I, I am, I'm not by any means a student of it, but, um, I'm, I'm a big nerd for reading screenplays and everything like that. So I understand the format and everything like that. And the, the process of doing it, I mean, it, it's, you know, like you're very, you're very right. in what you're saying you've got the basics there in a screenplay that you can add to, whereas you do it the, the, the other way around. It's so much about, say, you you have to strip almost everything away from it, apart from, exactly. the, apart from the dialogue. And it's, I mean, probably told, I'll be bending your ear about this um, for a long time after the podcast, probably. But it is so interesting that that, that process. Did, did you find it difficult? Um, even though it is, like I say, it's probably the the easier way around of doing it to to add things and embellish. But it's still it's still going to be a difficult process, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. I also get it the way, like you know, a lot of writers write out an outline before they write their full work. And it yeah. was in many ways just a very developed outline because you have, you know, all the, it's very dialogue heavy um, because there's so much white space in a script and so much of the ink is, is going to be dialogue and minimal description. 
and I, you know, and one of the things that a lot of writers really struggle with um, dialogue more than other things. Um, so I felt I had that part down, and then it was just kind of going through. And, and it, the cool thing is, I had a longer draft of the script um, in an early version of the, of the screenplay. Um, so I was able to resurrect those old scenes that were cut out because the screenplay is so much more limited to length and you know brevity, and try to get you know as to the point as quickly as you can. Well, with a book, you could expand a little bit and go on detours and, and have extra stuff that um, you otherwise lose in a screenplay. So it was fun to be able to take those scenes and, and just flesh them out and add details and, um, you know, the, adding the five senses, you know, whenever I could. Um, and it really, I mean, it, it was a good process. It was it, it made writing the book, because I was kind of learning how to write prose at the same time, because I hadn't really done a lot of prose writing. So I had to kind of go through and, you know, initially I was writing two. The best thing about screenwriting is it teaches you to be a concise, but then I noticed my prose was still was too concise. It was too brief at times. Yeah. So then I had to kind of learn to expand a little bit. Um, so screenwriting really does prepare you for that discipline of of not overwriting even in, in a longer work like a novel. Um, so I feel like it really helped make my prose better. Um, and then, you know, I'm still hoping that the movies could get made so I have the screenplay background and the screenplay is actually ready, you know, when and if that happens. And John Wilson and I from Fish Out of Water are, you know, we keep getting, trying to get the book in the right hands to people who might want to um, see the potential of making it into a movie. And that's the only thing that's seen about Fish Out of Water books is that, you know, they don't look at themselves as, yeah, we're just publishing books, but they are a book publisher, but, you know, they see potential and John and his wife, Lori, are big movie fans. So, you know, they would love to see their books also um, go into the film realm. And, you know, let's face it, there's, you know, if you could get, if you could sell the rights to a book, there's, you know, you could definitely actually make some money off the stuff. And, you know, none of us are really doing it for the money, but we definitely would all agree it would be great if money could also come with the territory of being a writer and publisher. And, you know, you'd have to start somewhere. And we, we're all confident that it's just a matter of time before, um, you know, like, your book will be their fifth. Um, and, you know, in a three-year period, that's pretty impressive that they've put out five books. Um, and it, like I said, it's really been a labor of love. Um, you know, it never felt like work. I mean, it, it's work in the sense that it's, you know, you're still devoting a lot of hours, but they really, um, you know, work with you in a way that doesn't seem painful. Like, I know I've heard nightmare stories about editors that um, really – want the writer to change a lot of what they've done and not just like con you know, changing content and changing major things. John always, you know, lets the author sort of have their freedom. And most of his feedback is going to be, you know, here's what I suggest, but don't feel like you have to do this. Um, I never felt pressured into making changes. I didn't want to make and everything I did make all their suggestions. I felt made the book so much better. For yeah. both books. I, um, I had that exact conversation with Frank on on the other podcast I did with him recently. Um, we we say the exact. We both echoed those thoughts. You know, uh, John's really good at. He, he really does improve. His eye is really good for improving um, improving the story, and I think that it helps that he because first and foremost he connects with it, which is the primary goal, isn't it? You want the person that is running with it to to connect with it and. Yeah. Um, I mean that. Then that's a blessing for for people like you and I who are, you know, uh, 
you you were basically creating something out of your own imagination. Well, that, not so much the the first story, but it's still something that you've created, and you're wanting someone to connect with it on that level. Um, on on that theme, you know, I looked on your on your website, um, which is is it foxwriter dot wordpress? Is it RJ foxwriter dot wordpress dot com or foxwriter? Yeah, it's um yeah fox right um sorry i used to have a different an easier name but then i didn't want to pay the domain name anymore <laughs> it's um rj um rj foxwriter.wordpress.com yeah. and yeah and i see you know i look at everything that's on there and obviously you know i feel like we're, we're kindred spirits in a way and you, you were mentioning about being bullied earlier and i you know I've certainly I, i've lived that journey and well i'm sorry (laughs) you know but the interesting thing that you said and and i i do empathize and identify with it so much is is that you know it the experience gives you this sort of robust shell of um this sort of determination to to do things your own way which which is crazy because i mean i i know i mean I guess you know as well other people who've been bullied, and it has the complete opposite effects on you know, on people. You see stories of how it does put oh, people yeah. into the shell. So, explain that for you. I mean, for me, it's um, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't really explain really why it made me such a rebellious person when I'm. Not, I don't really think I'm like that. Um, but it really didn't. I, I did rebel to it and sort of say, "Well, I'm going to do my own. I'm going to do my own yeah. journey." Then, well, it's still like you know. People who are who are victims of bullying could go two different ways. They could go and and, and do something destructive um, to themselves or others, which you hear about all the time, sadly, and especially here in the U.S. lately. Yeah. Um, or you go into you know into into the arts. I feel like a lot of people who who are teased and who are different as a kid um, find a, a refuge in in the art world, um, mm-hmm. whether it's writing or music or painting or whatever it might be in film. You know, most, basically, most people who do that work, we're all and I'd say this is a positive thing, you know, nerds. Um, and now the nerds are the cool people when they get, you know, when they, um, once they get to an age where, oh, wow, you're unique. That's a good thing. It's not something to tease you about. And I feel like, you know, as a teacher, you know, I always want to try to get the message out there that, um, you know, things will be better someday. Um, you know, it's tough right now, but you will find your own path. You're going to find your own friends and your own, you know, people. Um, and I feel like it's hard for a kid to sometimes realize that things can be better when it doesn't feel that way. And the school I teach at, you know, bullying, I mean, I mean, it certainly exists, but I've been very fortunate to teach in a school where we're very, um, a very open community. We're Ann Arbor, Michigan is, um, one of the most diverse areas, um, you'll find in the sense that it's the home of the university of Michigan. So it's a college town and you have students from literally all over the world, um, all different cultures, all living and going to the same school, social economic differences. Um, so these kids grow up in a community where they're used to people who are not like them versus, you know, other parts where people grow up where they're, everyone looks the same and, you know, there's no diversity. So I feel like I'm in a community where bullying is maybe less than in other areas because diversity is encouraged and not something to be, to shun, um, you know, and that includes a couple, you know, kids who might be different or nerds or this and that. So, um, it's great to see that I grew up, fortunately I had a really good home life as a kid, which made the bullying at school easier to cope with when you could go home to, you know, a loving family. Um, and then eventually I found my kind of my home that I found outside of home was my high school band. Um, 
where I had other like-minded souls, you know, that had my back and so on. So, um, but I always, you know, writing is a great tool for expressing, you know, if you're going through issues, um, you could work those out through writing, um, or, you know, just like music or art of all forms. Um, so I feel like there's a reason why people like us end up doing this type of thing because it just sort of lends itself to creativity. Mm. Well, that's another thing is, um, the not kind of point from that is on, on your website, you sort of describe yourself as well you're a writer across very you know different platforms you you're not just an author you know you're a screenwriter as well um how how would you describe yourself as a creative being is it is it as a writer that you would describe yourself um i mean i feel like um you know for most of my writing life which started back in high school when i had a teacher really got me into it um screenwriting was really all i did um, or all I considered doing, so, and that, and then that changed around 2011. Actually, it kind of coincided with the birth of my um, my daughter, where I started doing a lot of prose, writing short stories, and so now I consider myself. I mean, I guess I would say I'm pretty 50-50 split between screenwriting and, and prose writing. But then, of course, even with my prose, I've done two books of nonfiction and then now fiction, and my short stories are split down the middle too, between essays and fiction as well. So, um, so I don't. And even my genres are pretty varied. Um, you know, I did the travel memoir, and now I have this story that's you know this kind of dark and edgy story in Detroit. Mm. I guess what unifies them both is that um, the look, the setting of the books play a huge character in themselves. Um, you know, my first book, Ukraine, and then this new book, Detroit. Um, so the setting directly impacts the characters and the things that are happening in the story. Um, so I guess that's one thing that unifies them. And there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in my, my novel, um, growing up outside Detroit with the techno music. Um, there's even a scene that's a, a bullying scene that's actually right out of my tales in the dark side book, but just modified for the, for the novel. Um, so I, I kept finding things about myself to put into the story, which I think most fiction writers definitely yeah. incorporate real life stuff in different ways, whether it's people they know or personalities about themselves and so on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's hard to pigeonhole myself. I mean, I guess if if I had if somebody came to me and said you have to choose screenwriting or prose, and you can make a living doing either one, I feel like screenwriting because I just I'm so much of a movie buff and film you know film um, has always been sort of my main passion. So um, so I guess that right there says I'm where my main passion is. But in the meantime, I've had a blast. Um, doing this book stuff. And, and I think, you know, another thing I want to mention about John, uh, you know, Fish Out of Water, you know, because they're a small publishing house, they, they have to be so selective with what they publish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not going to just take, you know, a lot of these big publishers, they could crank out books that aren't necessarily passion projects. But, you know, the thing about a small publishing house like Fish Out of Water is that they, if your book gets selected, it's because they really saw potential in it and, and believe in it. And I think, I know when John told me about your book, you know, it, he, in fact, if I recall, he was almost thinking, man, our, our stable's so full right now, uh, but this book is so good, so we're going to go for it. And it, it, I feel like, you know, if that book, didn't, it wasn't like they necessarily were rushing to find another book. Yeah. Um, but yours came along, and they just knew they couldn't turn it down. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> um, that, you know, but it, it, it works for me. It works for What's me. That? It works for me because it's so complimentary. So, 
yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, you know, with a bigger publisher, it'd be like, well, it's still a good thing, but, you know, they have 200 titles coming out this year, so yeah, I probably won't get much attention. But, you know, with John and Lori, they're going to put all their their energy into each of their books. And really, another great thing I have to say about them, they are persistent. If you, when it comes to media contacts, for example, like they will keep following up and until they basically cave in and say, all right, fine, we'll interview. And I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but in a good way, because they, yeah. they're not going to just like rest on the you know, laurels. They know that to, to really um, hustle. Um, and, you know, it helps when the author is also willing to hustle because then you can really, you know, we've had so much luck getting people to talk to us just because we never stopped following up and, you know, following them and retweeting and, and sharing posts. And, you know, we have a nice little community of writers here now that <coughs> we call them friends of fish out of water because they're not published through us, but they're, you know, in our little circle of, of good guys that um, are nice allies to have. There's a, a great story I remember reading about um, how you tried to get the book into the hands of 50 Cent. Oh, yeah. It was just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that was so bizarre. It was a vodka festival in Detroit, and um, had all these vodka vendors, and apparently 50 Cent was part owner of, I don't think anymore, but at the time, FN Vodka is the brand. I think it's Swedish. Um and 50 Cent was going to make an appearance at this place. So John and I were there. So, you know, first off, who's going to buy a book at a vodka festival? But our book had vodka in the title, so we're like, let's just do it anyway. Um, 50 Cent was there, and I made it a point to get my book to him. And I, I did. Um, I had to get through the hands of five, like, security people. But um, we don't know if, um, if 50 Cent even took the book with him let alone read it, but it was just the fact that 50 Cent had my book in his hand. It was kind of more for just, you know, the entertainment value of it. <laughs> the, the journey itself is is, <laughs> is the real story in that. I mean, not for you, obviously. I mean, I guess wanting him to, it'd be great if he said something, but I mean, from, from an observer who's watching, you know, reading it for entertainment value, the story itself is, is a great story. Um <laughs> And <laughs> anyone who wants to take a look at um, your various writing projects can establish, you know, a few things from the descriptions of them alone. I mean, one that you have a vivid imagination, particularly with the waiting identification story. Um, two, that you're not afraid of writing things that drawn personal experiences of, as you've already talked about there. And three, that there, there is some importance played placed on Detroit and Michigan, but like you said as well, Ukraine somewhere else that you visited. I mean, is that is that how you would describe yourself as a writer that you've drawn a lot of those personal experiences? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I'm always looking. For, you know, people know me. People who know me are always like, "Oh, I, could, I have a feeling I'm gonna be turning that into a story." Because I I'm a huge fan of David Sedaris. So on my essay writing, um, he definitely is an influence on you know taking an everyday moment and, and expanding it, turning it into a longer piece. You know, with, with get the little details and the observations and sometimes hyperbole. Um, so yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I feel like writers have to have experience and even if it doesn't directly end up in your book, um, it just makes you so much richer in terms of mm. where you pull content from and, and having different experiences, seeing parts of the world, um, you know, not turning down, um, opportunities that could lead to, 
not only memories, but you know, when you're a writer, memories are also fodder for for potential stories. Or you know, a lot of times I'll get ideas just that are sparked from a real life event that I'm like, ooh, I could turn that into a fictional. You know, I could take that and run with it. Yeah. Uh, an example was a couple of years ago, I got sent to Las Vegas for training, and um, I was in an Uber, and I asked uh, the, the driver. She mentioned that she has another job, and I just said, "Oh, what's your other job?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm a legal courtesan." Um, and I, you know, my first thought was, "Wait, courtesan?" I think I think of, I th- made me think of Moulin Rouge, and then I looked it up to confirm what I thought it was. And yeah, she was a, a you know a sex worker escort, and uh, so uh, th- that led to an idea. It's a short story that's not finished, but it's I've been working on it for a couple of years. And it's a teacher goes to Vegas. Um, Hires, I, let me clarify, I did not hire this person. She was my Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> he hires a, um, a, a, a legal courtesan, a lady of the night, and realizes that it's a former student who had, who ran away from home years ago. She was like the little hometown hero, who this perfectly clean-cut girl who just disappeared out of the blue. And everybody in her town for years has been trying to find her. And everyone had kind of – no one lost – everyone um, still believed that someday she would return home. So here he is finding her, and he has this moral dilemma because, first of all, he's a teacher who only ran into her because she's a prostitute. And also she's begging him not to say anything. Mm. So his, you know, does he go home and say, hey, I found Mary Sue. She's okay. Or does he keep it a secret to protect himself and this girl who doesn't want to be found? Um, so that's, so just that little moment with that cab driver or the Uber driver made me think of this whole storyline. Um, so that, that's just one example of many where I, something just sparks what becomes a longer idea. Yeah. I, I had that. I was on, um, um, I was on a flight and we had, um, you know, the, was it the Sky Mall mics? You used to get, oh, yeah. you know, that sell the, like the giant yeah. statues of bears that. in your back garden. Well, one of the the um, other magazines that we got, and it had this story about this guy who, and it was only like a small clipping, but it intrigued me so much about. Um, he basically he um, he read his own obituary, um, that, so he'd obviously been misprinted. Someone had told the news, the, a local newspaper, this guy had died, and he he was stunned to read his own obituary, and he hadn't actually, obviously, hadn't died, and I, I was. I was thinking, oh. I mean, there's a great story in that as it is, but I mean, you know, if this happened to a much younger guy, it was like, let's say that it was, uh, you know, his, his dad and they shared the same name and, you know, the, the, how it would help you, cause you to reflect on your own life and everything like that. And so I, I started, you know, scribbling something down as a story along that. And it's so, I mean, it, it, I mean, like I said, any, anything, at any time, and that's that's the great thing about, I mean, I guess having a creative mind, but having the time and opportunity to be able to write, and and the inclination as well, because I mean, one of the uh, the questions I get asked a lot is because everyone always says, don't they? I mean, I, I'm sure that you've had it as soon as you had a book published. Is everyone would say, oh, I've, I've got a book idea, and I never got around to it, or everyone yeah. everyone's got a book in them, yeah, and as if it's the most easy thing in the world and I always said well the best thing to do is write the book and finish the book because once you or write the story and finish the story because 
it's actually in finishing the story that that sense of accomplishment of actually having done it that um, I guess starts you off as on that journey, even if it's only like a it can be a fifty page story or anything like that. But people who don't have the um, inclination to do it, um, and like and like I said, it's crazy now. I mean, you get one thing published or even a story finished, and then suddenly you're bitten by the bug of everything becomes an inspiration that any conversation that you have can be like, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll use that. Um, well, what, that is one thing that has struck me about, um, certainly reading your story and, and the journey that you've been on is it's, there's so many things that I can connect with. And, and one of them is you seem very much motivated by not only by these small incidental things, but they turn into stories that you want to tell. So I, the, they become stories of passion in in that sense. Anyway, that it suddenly becomes a message that you want to, want to talk about. I mean, I see a lot of reactive writing or writing that I guess you would call capitalising on modern trends. You know, like for example, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, and suddenly everyone becomes a, a smut writer and an expert. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, the good thing is that I guess uh, you know, in that point of view, it does open a lot of doors for people who do want to write and they have dreams of being published. But from a purely personal perspective as a creative person, I also find it a little bit frustrating because you have publishers and agents, like you said, their slush pile must be massive. But they're looking... They also start then looking for certain types of stories from certain demographics purely because they become the flavour of the month. And, I mean... From my point of view, I mean, I don't want to go down the road of complaining about it because in terms of opportunity, I'm a white guy in my 30s. I'm literally the last person in the world who's <laughs> going to be complaining about anything. Um, but from the point of literary um, integrity, integ- I can't even say the word, integrity, the, the <laughs> fundamental point I'm making is, I mean, first of all, kudos to you for maintaining your own variety and, and being so individual with it. Um, but I wanted to ask if you felt the f- same frustrations as what I do sometimes. Do you ever have a temptation to say, screw it, I'm going to wait, I'm going to see what pops up as the next popular trend and then modify one of my strongest existing ideas or write something completely new to adapt to this new trend? You know, like a throw a vampire in your story or something like that. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean, like, from the point of view that, you know, you said earlier that we're all, I mean, particularly you and I, we've written we've got experience in writing and and we've got experience of having things published, but catching that gravy train with an Collins, for example. And yeah, I mean, those are all great points that I, one thing I'm very fortunate. I have a a nice day job as a teacher where I never have to worry about making money off my writing um, in terms of commercial success. Although that is something I, I aspire to, but I mean, I definitely never follow trends because they always, you know, it's kind of cliche, but they always say, like, what's the flavor of the month now won't be by the time you finish your book. Um, yeah, yeah. By the time you, you know, that's, that's just finishing, not counting when you actually get it published. So you can't really go on. I mean, yeah, some writers can tap into what's hot in the market and certain books definitely, um, you know, like YA books are huge right now. Um, and I have ideas for YA books, and I feel like, like, every now and then I, I start thinking, okay, well, I should probably try writing that book. But it's not because it's like, oh, I mean, I think, well, there might be a better shot at it becoming a huge hit. Um, but if I go and write it, it's because it's what I'm feeling passion for in that moment. Um, you know, and it's really, you just have to sort of write what you feel and what you want to write. And I feel like if you're just trying to make a quick buck jumping into trends, you're not, 
it can't be your best possible writing. Right. Um, yeah. I don't feel like many writers have become successful authors just writing, you know, like you look at romance, those romance novels, you know, that you see at the, at the you know, corner drugstore. You know, there's a market for that. There's people who are really good at crank, you know, they, they crank out like a book a month sometimes, um, from what I've heard. And, you know, it, it's, it's still writing and it's still, um, it still involves creativity, but I, I just feel like it's kind of like, I mean, my interest in movies are real in the independent film as opposed to the big Hollywood blockbusters. And yeah. Yeah. The, the Avengers are fun, but I, I get much more excited for what's going to be playing at the art house theater down the street, um, more than like the next Avengers sequel. Um, but not to say that I don't enjoy the Avengers, but you know, it's, it's similar in my own writing where it's like, I'm not, I, I look at my writing on the levels I look at independent film and you know, it's, it's not going to be a commercial success all the time, but it's going to be a lot more meaningful and important. Mm, yeah. um, I, you know, especially with this new Detroit book. Um, although I should include, could have included some vampire. All the, in that book, all the characters are dead on page one. Um, <laughs> and then it goes back in time to show who they were, but I suppose I could have made a vampires. So I could have just kept it in the present. And then I could add some vampires in Ukraine. Um, love it. <laughs> love in Ukraine. Love in vodka or love in blood. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so I think it's just, you know, if you, if you want to be a writer, you just have to write about what you're passionate about and what you're like, for example, I have like fantasy is one genre that that's obviously also successful uh, or popular. And I just don't have that DNA to do fantasy novels. Um, you know, I, the closest one I have is an idea for, kind of a, a new origin story for Santa Claus. I guess that would be kind of like Narnia, you know, yeah. on that level. But, like, I just – that's a genre that I don't read much of and I don't feel like – or, you know, or like action thrillers and things like that. I just don't um, – I just focus on what I know I can write, what I feel like I want to write. And it's really books that I would want to read too. Yeah. Um, the type of stuff that I like to read is what I try to write, um, hoping that – you know, I will come close to the people I'm trying to emulate, like David Sedaris. Although I don't think anybody could come close to emulating how good he is, but um, you know, it's good to have certain authors that you look to for inspiration and, and to help develop your own sort of style by looking at the styles of others. It's always a good thing. Yeah, I hope I didn't ramble on too much there. No, no, you I I'm just. I answered your question. <laughs> Do you have the the other side of that is that I mean, you can take on. Um, if, if you become too self-conscious about it. I mean, I've seen it happen to... I, I don't know that many writers, but I have seen it happen to a few of them on... Um, <sighs> the worst thing that I can see myself doing, for example, or imagine myself doing it, is sort of taking on board the criticism of someone else or someone else's criticism of your work and taking it to, to art too much. I mean... There was a book that I read recently, um, and taking away my own opinion of it, there was some criticism of various aspects in the reviews, uh, which, of course, I mean, as a writer, it's the same, same as rejections, which we'll talk about in, in a short while, but um, you always have to expect that not every single person in the world is going to enjoy your book, so that someone is going to be critical of your story, and in, in that respect, you have to expect it you have to be prepared for it and then when it comes along you have to absorb it as best you can right and as productive as you can well this writer i mean and there are ways and means and people have got their own ways of doing it but this writer ended up taking all the criticism 
and wrote another book in the same series and went and addressed all these criticisms, turning what were minor issues and weren't even a point of the first story. Maybe even... I don't even know if you'd call them a subplot in the first story, but they became <laughs> issues which dominated the, the sequel. Yeah. And they became almost devoid of context because of what what it became. And... Right. Yeah, you just have to shut those voices off sometimes. And, and I feel like negative reviews and feedback, you know, I think that's for that bullying experience comes in handy because it's <laughs> in a yeah. way, you know, and mm-hmm. there are people that, you know, of course there's trolls and there's going to be user comments of people who just like to stir stuff up no matter what. Um, yeah. I mean, you, again, you just have to write what you think is best and, you know, if you have 10 positive reviews and one negative one, sometimes you would focus, it's easy to focus on that one negative one, but then what about the other 10? Mm. Um, well, the other 10 might have been your friends and family, so then there's that too, but that's... Yeah, yeah, right. But I mean, uh, the, the, the other thing with that, I mean, yeah, you've got the element of, you know, my mom says I'm the most handsome boy in school, but you've also <laughs> got the, the other part of, I mean, the first person you write something for is yourself because it's the therapy of getting it the story out um you write the story because however egotistical it is in our in our heads we feel like we've got something to say so it gets written into a word document i mean if if you're lucky enough somewhere down the line it gets published and at that point if it does get published someone has gone through it with you to talk about every little thing in, in the story that um maybe turn around as a criticism you should be prepared for that because by the time it's out there you should you should have already had those conversations with the people who are publishing the story Absolutely. so you're, yeah. you're you're prepared to argue the toss about the validity or the integrity of it for sure and i think i don't think people realize you know who don't do this stuff how much time is spent you know it's, a lot of people because i just got super lucky where i just happened to publish three books over the last three years but what people don't always realize is that I had been working on these stories. Yeah. Like for example, Love and Box, I started in 2001. Yeah. A wedding identification, I started writing in 1999. Um, and then these essays were written over a few years um, for Tales from the Dark Side. And then that's that's counting the numerous drafts I did just for myself. And then once I signed with Fish Out of Water Books, all the rewrites we did, you know, you know, the different versions of the drafts we did with them. And then also the books out, but most people would just say, oh, he has another book. And it's a lot easier to criticize, you know, and it's the same thing with movies. I mean, all the work that goes into even the worst movies, still a lot of time and work went into somebody's, you know, project. And then it's easy just to spit on it and stop on it. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I think people sometimes lose sight of, like, just how much time and, and energy is put into this stuff. Um, and that you hope that when the book does get published, it's, like, the best possible book that you could have done um, and the, that the publisher helped get it to that point and the editor and all that. So, yeah. and I, I felt that way with fish out of water. Although even, you know, I still will read passages and I'll be like, Oh, if only I could have one more draft. Um, <laughs> I'm like, how many chances to fix that? You know? So, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's hardest to fully let go of it. And that's, it's liberating when your book is published because you know for sure, well, there's nothing that can be done now. But you would, um, I mean, you would always be like that, right? It's not like, there's always another draft that could be done, right? Even if even if you had the opportunity to go back and change it, and you had this new version of the story in front of you, right. you would still find something in any year's time to go back and change. It's, oh, sure. Yeah. 
There's a there's yeah, a point. Sorry, go on. Well, as I said, as your your frame of mind or your mood alters the way you read something too. Yeah. You know what sounds one day, the next day sound doesn't sound as good, and you know who really knows why and what would be best. So you just have to at some point just let go. Yeah. There's one point in Peach that I've had beta readers um, talk about and, and reviewers who, who've read the book for me, and and even John. Uh, 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 for Shadowwater books, you know, and I, we've gone back and forth over this one point. It's an element of the story that could go either way, and you can argue either way that it would or wouldn't make sense. At one point, and this is before it was submitted to Fish Out Water, but I, at one point I even wrote, rewrote an entire section of the story to see how it would transpire. It was like 50 pages. Um, you know, oh, wow. with this alternate point of view, and and both of them ended up working. But I, I realised that both would still be questioned, and my conclusion to it all was effectively, you know, if it generates discussion, then in terms, particularly with creativity, and, and we talk about the human condition, the human reaction, there's never really a straightforward wrong or right answer, or there rarely is. So it, it's good that there is a right. de- divisive and talking point in there. I mean. Like I say, in the points about human behaviour and our impulses and so on, and there's a similar point to that in Love and Vodka. And I, I, I don't know, but I'm imagining at some point someone was questioning: Would somebody do that? Would somebody take an engagement ring to Ukraine to meet a relative stranger? And because yeah. it, because it's an impulsive thing, and you'd say, "Well, that's unlikely," but your reaction is obviously yes. Because it did happen, because you did it. The real, I mean, in a, on a creative process, it, the answer isn't really yes because it happened. It's yes because people do all kinds of decisions. They make all kinds of decisions based on every various complexity. And I don't know. These uh, people look too much for justification instead of. I'm not saying to expect, except you know, the completely unreasonable. Like someone lives by the side of a volcano and it erupts every year, but within the realms of human decisions, pretty sure. much everything is, is game, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And in with the, the beauty of nonfiction is that sometimes the best, you know, there's always that whole, like, cliche phrase of you can't make the stuff up because some of the, especially in Love and Vodka, there are things that, like, the weirdest stuff in the book, the stuff that's the least believable was probably the most most accurate yeah. because it's some it's stuff that stuck in my memory the most. Like a lot of the stuff, the, the mundane stuff, you know, you don't really memorize everything that's said in a conversation that's not that interesting. But if you have a really bizarre encounter, you tend to remember. So, um, yeah, and, and there's so many – I have had people ask, like, did that really happen? Or, you know, and yeah, even the premise of me taking a ring, that's hard for people to believe. But then the little details in the book – and, and the encounters with people, I think, is even more shocking. Yeah. Um, and I always will semi-joke that, you know, I don't highly recommend that you propose to somebody that you've only been with for 10 minutes in person um, <laughs> because it's probably not destined to, to, to last. But, um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't have regrets about it. And it, it led to this great, you know, it led to my first book. So the, the book outlasted the, the actual relationship, which is sad, but also... It's the reality, but um, but at the same time, this great trip I had is now preserved in, in book form. Um, and then, you know, with fiction, if you make up something that doesn't seem plausible, people say, well, that's just bad writing. Yeah. But in nonfiction, it, it's, you know, no, that's that's what happened. That's life. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, um, 
we we already talked about your your personal journey to to publication for Shadow World books. So I wanted to talk if you feel comfortable about it, about the you know the rejection process. Um, I, I guess we've both been there. Um, how, how many rejections did it take? I mean, for I guess we will go with Love and Vodka because well, was there was there a thing? I mean, if you're putting it up in 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 format on Facebook, um, was that before you? put it together as a complete manuscript yeah so it was um it was always meant to be a full book um but there were several you know there are parts of the book that could serve as separate pieces i mean they could almost be like a collection of essays yeah but i was able to connect them together with a, a plot you know narrative thread but um yeah it was just as i was drafting the book and, and if i was happy with something i just had just written i would just post a piece of it on facebook and then once i had the book once I was close to being done with what I thought was a final draft, of course, that was just the beginning. Um, I started submitting to agents and publishers. Um, there were the big publishers, the small ones, the medium ones. And most never even replied, which is pretty typical. And then I would have a few that, you know, would say, well, just not for us. You know, literally writing nothing else but not for us. <laughs> and then there were a few that actually did request, you know, I'd say maybe five or six actually requested to see the manuscript um, and then ultimately decided not to go with it. Um, so I would say I, I probably submitted to 100 plus um, that might be actually lowballing it. Um, and then it just, you know, it, it was, I feel like it's not the most marketable genre um, travel memoir. It's, it's probably that that might've played a part. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, so here, I, and then ironically, I end up finding somebody in my own backyard, um, you know, looking far and wide, you know, at all the U.S. and, and even some British pub publishers. So, um, so it, 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 I definitely got lucky and I couldn't have, you know, it, it just happened to be serendipitous that I had their, their son and that they wanted to start a publishing company and that it just happened that I had a book available at the time. So. Um, and that's, you know, that's an important lesson for any writer or author is just, first of all, you have to write something and then just don't give up on trying to get it out there. And now with digital, te you know, there's so many ways you could get stuff published, um, so many literary magazines, or if you have a full book, you know, you could, yeah. you know, both have success with self-publishing and I, I'm not anti self-publishing, but I always, people would always say, why don't you just self-publish? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait. And I, it, I'm glad I did because there were moments where I was like, well, maybe I should. Um, yeah. And it, it, you know, it was the best decision to just hold off. And I just knew at some point somebody would come along, which is how I feel now about the movie stuff. It's just about waiting for the right, you know, all it's going to take is one producer or director to say, like, I want to do this. And then, then it happens. Um, but yeah. for, every, for that one person, there's hundreds that, it could be the best script ever written, but if it doesn't appeal to them, they're not going to want to make it. Right. And um, there's that story, so, I mean, isn't it like um, J.K. Rowling with like 100 rejections for Harry Potter? And, I mean, you, for, for that you can read in any name, any author, because I mean, they've, all had, they've all got the rejection stories. But, I mean, I, I, apart from, you know, how it makes you feel, because there's that line about taking it personally and being able to sort of hold off on the sort of, how personally you take it. The other thing is, you will find that, and I'm sure that other writers who've submitted things and had them rejected will have had a, an experience similar to this. 
you know, the, the recommendations on changes. How, how do you take that on board? Because, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, are they suggesting it for genuine improvement? Are they saying what they didn't like about it? And how far do you take that? How, how do you do that personally? Do you do you take on board the criticism? Do you completely ignore it? Uh, you know, in terms of they're not going to publish the book, but they recommend some changes. Do you? Do you yeah, t- I mean, there were a couple of objections, but they did give you useful feedback. Um, and I feel like it did help, maybe not even with this book or these books, but just with writing in general, the, you know, little notes. I'm like, oh, yeah, so I should try to avoid this. Um, but most of the rejections really didn't offer any Yeah. Any reasons why they rejected? Um, so it was really, you know, based on I did have I was in a writers group, which is not, I don't think I really recommend get feedback from people that um, that also are serious writers that you know are going to give you honest feedback. Uh, but really, the um, the process with with fish out of water, you know, they definitely nothing felt like it was forced on me, like I said, but they definitely found things about the book that I knew. Like, for example, in Love and Vodka, we had to put in a lot more um, historical stuff about some of the locations um, just to give it more context. Yeah. And this was something to, like, research because I didn't have that information in my head. Um, so that was one of the big changes was kind of adding a little more um, historical elements to it or just, you know, just more not even historical but just background info on certain things that, was lacking prior. So that was, I think, probably the best change to the book. And then with the waiting identification, the biggest feedback, that, well, it was kind of a, we decided that it was always meant to be the present day Detroit. Detroit's changed quite a bit since 1999 when the article, when I first saw the article that the book's based on. Um, so we had to then change the setting to, from the present day Detroit to 1999. And that met, going back and finding things that had to be changed just to make the setting work or the time period. Yeah. Um, another thing that John sort of, we always joked that he imposed, um, there's a character who's a DJ, techno DJ. Um, but there's a lot of influences that are all of John's favorite bands from Manchester and the whole scene, the eighties and nineties music scene in Manchester that, um, that are in the book that would not have come out of me, but you know, it made sense for the character that he would be inspired by Manchester music. So yeah, that, that one's on, that was like me. And I, I let him, you know, I gave him a bone there so he could have his bands represented, <laughs> uh, which is cool. Cause like I said, and it made sense for that character that he would, would be a fan of that music. Yeah. Um, so talk about that, per, the personal feeling of rejection. And did, was there a fine line? I mean, were you able to not take it personally when, you know, when you're getting a bunch of them coming through to your inbox? You just get immune to it or you start just getting, I don't want to say used to it, but I, I almost look at rejection as, um, as trophies of not giving up. I don't know. It sounds kind of cheesy, but to me, every time I would get a rejection, it's like, well, that means I'm still trying. And, um, if you don't try at all, you don't get any rejections. So I think, yeah, you know that that's kind of an attitude I've always had. I don't know how how for you how how you've convinced yourself that it's not so painful, but um, but yeah, I just feel like you know, and I, I feel like I remember reading that Stephen King keeps his re- used to keep his rejections on like a metal spike that he would just you know <laughs> get his paper rejected and stick it on there, and it's almost like a um, like battle scars, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
it's just part of the territory. I mean, every author, I mean, going back to Stephen King, supposedly he dumped his manuscript for Carrie in the trash. Um, and then his wife pulled it out and, you know, cause he was just so frustrated and thinking it was never going to happen. And then ultimately it did. So, um, so the most successful writers are probably the ones who have been rejected more than anyone else because they just kept pushing forward. Yeah. And some people are afraid of rejection, so they don't even try because they don't want to deal with it. And it's very rare that you would submit something that gets instantly published. I mean, it does happen, but um, it's definitely not a typical occurrence. No, no, it absolutely isn't. Um, so how did you feel then when, when John said that they wanted to – to public, I mean, not only publish the the book, but the fact that they were taking such a leap of faith with you as well. Well, I was just, I mean, I, I was on top of the world because it was, you know, I'm finally getting a book published, and um, <clears throat> it definitely. But then reality set in when the long editing process started, and yeah. it, you know, it's not like oh, you're, you're getting published, and then you could just sit back and rest. It's first do all the rewrites and the revisions and then it's all the marketing and getting the word out there and all the events and doing that. So, um, it's, it's a marathon. I mean, even, you know, with this new one that just came out, it's been fun to, to start the whole process again. But, um, but yeah, it has been, it, it definitely was a, a feeling like I, it was one of those things where I always knew I would have my, my big break and my moment. It was just a matter of when. So it was almost like, Part of me was like, told you so. Like, it was almost like, you know, I'm not surprised because I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't always know when. So it was a sense of like saying, okay, I was right all along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely there's no better feeling than even like if I publish a little short story on a, on a small little literary magazine. It's just a, it's just a great feeling just to know that somebody sees your work and believes in it. And it makes you feel less crazy because you know that you're not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was interested to read something on your website where you were effectively apologising for over-promoting yourself. I really, I read it and I just, it resonated with me so much. And I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to do this entire series of podcasts, really. I mean, it's really good and it's great to speak to people like uh, Pete Yon, who I spoke to in the opening episode. And I hope that, you know, he's obviously... He's had a massively successful career and everything like that. And I hope people listen to things like that and think, oh, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in terms of a creative process. But the reality is that the majority of people listening who aren't fans of those people will be like you and I, you know, creators who don't have these advertising juggernauts behind us. And what we're depending on is a genuine reaction to the craft that, that we create you know and i'm just as self-conscious about it about the idea of am i am i pushing this too much are people getting sick of me doing it you know but then again we you know we have to do it because we are our we are our advertising platform aren't we and i kind of wanted to have this this podcast where we can discuss it and it's not necessarily something that comes across as you know look at what we're doing kind of thing and and i don't think we're doing that we're having a genuine conversation but it is that's if there's one thing that's difficult for me it is it is that point is promoting myself and it's because i just have this self-awareness um of um I think it's imposing myself on other people. Is that is that what it feels right. for you? Yeah, I, I definitely feel that way at times. And, and 
you know, part of it is there's always like how much, how effective is any of this marketing? Is it actually going to sell, you know, get people to buy the book? And I believe that, yes, it does happen sometimes. Also, it's just awareness and letting people know it's out there. Yeah. But then I'm finding out, like, I used to think I was overdoing it. And I still do sometimes. But then I've had people that I see on Facebook all the time not even know I had a book out, a new book come out. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, then maybe I'm not overdoing it, um, which actually made me feel a little better. But then I'm also thinking, wait, I'm putting all this stuff out there. No, not, it's not yeah, being yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure how Facebook's like, you know, you hear about how they're, how, who sees your posts on Facebook? There's a whole formula and this and that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have to self-promote and, and that's totally part of it. And I always try to make sure I'm entertaining with my posts. I mean, I try to add something that's going to at least get people to laugh or, you know, be entertained rather than just seeing the cover of my book once again without any, you know, I mean, I could just post an Amazon link and write nothing, but you know, if I could add some funny little comment or some, you know, a picture to go with it or something. Um, I'm hoping that's less annoying for people, but yeah, I mean, you, I, I know I have some author friends that don't do really any promotion at all. Like they publish their book and then they don't promote it on social media. They don't really do any events or interviews. And, um, and I guess, you know, for some people it's intimidating and they have no, they just want to write. And, um, and especially if you're with a bigger publisher, they, they'll do the public, well, you would hope they do marketing for you. Or if your name is big enough, you know, when Stephen King has a new book out, they don't have to have a bunch of commercials for it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely, to me, what I wish more people did, and I, I, I have some friends, and, and some of them are friends I've never actually physically met, who will share my, you know, will, will share an article about my book if it gets posted. They'll put up the link on Amazon and, and write a little review and say, hey, you know, Look for a book to read. This, you know, this book is fantastic, and though I wish more people did that because I feel like that word of mouth is huge. Um, I really appreciate. Or I've had people they post a picture of the book that they received, or you know, they're sitting on a beach reading my book and post a picture of it uh, on Facebook and tag me. And I, that stuff goes a long way. And I, yeah. not only do I appreciate you know them taking the time, but I feel like it just gets more exposure and retweets. Um, you know, a lot of these, you know, like Frank and I are really good at retweeting each other's um, things on Twitter and, and, you know, getting the word out there for each other. And, um, you know, I'm, I haven't had a chance to meet Frank in person, but, you know, he's part of the Fish Out Water family. So we have that kinship with that and you're part of now. Um, so it's nice when other authors advocate for one another and other artists. And, you know, I always try to do that, too, with my other artist friends. And I feel like I should do more. Um but yeah, I mean, I do post a lot on Facebook and I, especially with the lead up to the book coming out, you know, I, it's possible some people turned me off and said, I don't want to follow this guy anymore because <laughs> it's a damn book once again. Um, do you feel, do you, it's very evil. So it's in trouble. Do you feel like sometimes like, especially, I mean, what we're talking about there, we're talking about exposure and networking and then it, it's callous in a way, a little it is about the actual subject matter, you know, like the, the art, you know, you've create, created this thing that you hope that will connect with people on, on the fundamental level of this is a book that I really hope that you will enjoy. Do you know, like you haven't just, you're not trying to 
sell them lemonade on a sand. Do you know what I mean? It's, you've spent, I mean, for you, I mean, for example, it goes back 20 years nearly. I mean, you, you wrote something else on your blog, which I found very interesting, you know, the noise. And that's something that, again, I really resonate and connect with. There's, you know, the, this, there's this noise, this huge noise, and really what we're doing with this this noise everywhere is we are throwing our own sound into it. And it goes back a little bit yeah. to what I was saying earlier about our writing. I mean, do you ever feel like you have to write something purposefully different? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and I can only speak for myself, and I haven't, all my um, fiction stories are a little bit different, apart from, I guess, from... Peach is almost like my little niche now. I think moving forward, there there will be more stories that are introspective and everything like that because I feel like that's what I've stumbled on. This what I'm more comfortable doing. But even on that level, it's more about creating something that I believe in and hoping that other people will connect with it and it will have that resonance. I, I'm obviously I, I know that I'm trying to make my own message in my own way, but I'm not necessarily thinking what can I offer that's different you know, what's unique in what I'm trying to say, you know, and I I think if I do that, it's counterproductive to my own art, if I, you know, if I, that's the way that I'm going into it thinking, but I guess sometimes that is a double-edged sword, isn't it? You, you kind of have to do that in a way if you want to get noticed. Yeah, no, for sure, and it, it's, um, you know, being a book that's specific to to Detroit, for example, I would hope that people who are from my area, like, the, well, the big challenge is people just don't read that much anymore. Yeah, that, that's like the biggest hurdle for us as as authors, and you know, and I'm guilty of it too because I wish I read more. But if I'm not writing myself, I like to watch movies and TV, exactly. and of course, get distracted with Facebook and internet. So. Um, so a, you have a lot of people who just simply don't read or say, I haven't read a book since high school or let me know when your movie, you know, the movie's made. Yeah. Um, but then it's, just, I, I feel like there's a market for this Detroit book that I've been getting some good press. It's more of a, I think an audience, a younger audience would be a, find this interesting. Like people in their twenties, thirties, forties, um, would be kind of the, the, the target goal. And I feel like I'm starting to reach them. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if I'm not reaching enough. Um, and it's tough because you don't really know. Like, you can't, like, just go knocking on a door and say, hey, buy my book. Um, mm. and, and there's that whole idea of, like, are, are you being annoying versus being productive with getting the word out there? Um, but, I, you know, the, all I can – like, I feel like I've done my best at getting the word out. And, and John had, as well, a fish out of water. And, you know, you can't control people. Um, you know, it's the same with movies. Like, movies that look like they should be a hit are a flop. And it's like, well, why didn't people go see that? Like, it, it seems to have all the ingredients of a hit film. Um, and it's just, again, there's so many books. You go into a bookstore and you think, man, that's there's so many choices. And unless you're one of those big names that people automatically buy, how do you establish yourself as somebody that somebody wants or, like, a big thing that I feel like John and I have battled is, like, I think there's a perception that because we're such a, he's such a small publisher that it's not legitimate in the eyes of some people. Like, people thumb their nose, like, oh, like, especially when they have just one book, but now they have four and, and soon five. Um, and I think it's just battling that perception that, like, you're not, you're not like those other big-time authors. You're just sort of a, like, who are you? I, I once had a bookstore even say, 
they, they wouldn't carry the book. And they said, well, come back to us when you get more known. And I'm thinking, geez, that's not like, that's pretty harsh. But I mean, I see where they're coming from, but I just feel like, um, yeah. again, that you just have to believe in what you write and hope that it somehow finds, you it's, know, it's that crazy thing. You hope it? that whoever does. I'm sorry. It's almost like that crazy thing, like, you know, come back when you're more known. And it's like, well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it really, an attitude I've had lately is if only 10 people buy the book or read the book, I just hope those 10 people really enjoy it. Like, it's not, yeah, I wish, you know, 100,000 people would read the book, but it, I'm just hoping that the people who do take the time to read it are finding it worth their time, you know, to, it's, to, to commit to a book, it's a you know, big chunk out of your, out of your life. Yeah. Um, and those are the, the small victories that make it worth it or the networking and the meeting new people. And, you know, if you do a bookstore event and only three people show up, part of you will think, man, this sucks, only three people. But also they did come out to hear you and you hope that they enjoyed themselves while you were talking about your book and, and sharing it. So I think it's just, you just have to sort of keep it in perspective that it's not, um, you know, you're never going to get as many readers as you really want or think you even deserve, but you just have to appreciate the ones you do have. And I think that that's a big part to the happiness that you get out of this whole thing. Yeah. I'm coming towards the end of the questions that I ask, um, uh, my own questions, that is. Um, the, f- the first of the last two um, is what... I generally ask every everyone that's been on the pod so far, what is the ultimate creative indulgence for you? Ultimate creative indulgence? As in, like, what I like to do to entertain myself? If, if you had a day where you knew something would, I guess, inspire creativity and, and you were going to do something creative, how, how would you do it and, and what would you be doing? Um, I feel like, you know, a really good movie usually inspires me, um, you know, a really good story, um, where I'm like, wow, like this is why I do what I do because I want to aspire to that. Um, so that usually gets my creative juices flowing, but so does, you know, I have two little kids. So a lot of times, like if I'm committed to it, once the kids go to bed, I'm going to go out for a couple hours and write, you know, just that motivation of like, I'm going to have those two hours to be creative and I'm going to have my coffee or bourbon or beer to keep me, you know, to keep my energy going. Um, that's sort of the ideal thing when I know I have like that chunk of time coming up. Yeah. Um, because that's when I'm, that's when I'm in my happy space when I'm, when I'm writing and that high you get from, even if, you know, you can have a bad writing session in the sense that you're not real happy with how it came out, but you spent two hours working and you just feel good that you were able to kind of, go through the process. Um, so it's just finding that time and that setting time aside and kind of looking forward to that time that um, kind of keeps me going. Yeah. I hope that answers what you asked. <laughs> it does, it does. Um, and, and the last so of my own questions, you obviously at the moment you're currently promoting Awaiting Identification, which is out now through um, Fish Out of World Books and also be on Amazon and Bonds and Noble websites. Um, but uh, what's what's next in the pipeline for you? What what, what have you been working on while whilst the um, promotion for for this book's underway? Okay, sure. Um, well, first I want to mention your previous question, music. I, oh, 
I have to mention music as an inspiration. I don't oh, yeah, know, yeah, but that, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. huge part to my creative process, writing along the music. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, or the answer to your question about next body work, um, I actually got uh, hired to do a script rewrite for an independent film director, producer, um, which is kind of interesting because I'm now back full circle in the screenwriting. And it was because of my books that led to me having the opportunity to uh, be considered to do the project. And of course, with my screenwriting background, it all just worked out. So, um, so that I've been working on for a couple months now, and I'm I'm hoping to be done by late June, um, at least with a draft I'm going to be submitting. Yeah. Um, so it's been different to writing for somebody else, um, where it's not my own creation, and I'm kind of like where somebody else is sort of in charge of the characters and the story. Um, I have a bunch of short stories and essays that I would love to have a short story collection published. Um, they're all kind of thematically similar. Um, I have a bunch of new essays that are in different stages of being completed or incompleted. Um, and then I have several ideas for novels that I've either started or have ideas for. Um, so I, I have no shortage. I mean, for me, it's just like when and how am I going to write all this stuff? Yeah. So I'm not looking for things to, it's just, it's really just hoping that I keep having time and opportunity and that, um, you know, if it could ultimately lead to getting a film produced where I'm a screenwriter or a TV series, that would be the ideal opportunity. Um, but in the meantime, you know, shuffling between screenwriting and prose writing, that's really just, you know, it's still writing and it's still coming up with stories and, and hopefully entertaining people. And, and yeah, talk to me a little bit about music. Um, obviously, like you were saying earlier, it is a big theme in your work and, you know, obviously people can, they can have a look at your website and, and know more about you and, and your work in that way. But I wanted to know how it um, works in your creative process. Um, for me, it's a massive inspiration, but for example, it, it's very difficult for me to write to music as inspiring as it is. Yeah, for music, um, when I write, 95% of the time I definitely have music on, and it's I, jazz music is one of my big inspirations, um, just sort of some like free-flowing jazz, old-school jazz. Um, techno music is a big part in my process because of the kind of the rhythm, the hip, kind of hypnotic factor of it. It puts me in the kind of in a zone. A lot of I tend not to listen to a lot of music with lyrics when I write because it just gets distracting. Um, but it also depends on. I mean, it, there are times when it works out fine, and if I'm doing like, you know, fine tuning or editing versus you know content creativity, that also impacts the type of music I listen to. Um, but yeah, I mean, music. You know, there's a lot of music references in my books, um, particularly waiting identification. Um, but music is definitely the the fuel, and obviously working with John. Wilson, he's a huge music fan as well, so we definitely share that, that love. And we have sort of different interests in music um, with some overlapping interests as well. Yeah, great. Um, I always ask, I always end um, the podcast by asking the 10 questions that have been immortalized by James Lipton in his In the Actors Studio series. Um, I was told off on one of the recent ones I did this because that. I keep engaging in the answers. <laughs> so I'm going to try and ask the questions and keep out of the answers. Um, what, what is your favorite <laughs> word? Cheese. What is your least favorite word? 
um, no. (laughs) (laughs) What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Good art. What turns you off? Lack of originality. What is your favorite curse word? Poop. That's a curse word. Okay, I'll, I'll let you have that. <laughs> That's a safe curse word. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Uh, okay, I'll do that. Favorite curse word is definitely, uh, definitely shit. <laughs> what, what sound or noise do you love? Um, my children. What sound or noise do you hate? Sometimes my children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, um... uh, Sports marketing. Yes. Um, And what profession would you not like to do? Anything involving numbers or science. If ever... Because I would fail miserably. <laughs> Me too. Um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Come on in. Come on in. Thank you so much, RJ, for your time. Um, as you. Me- great time. Yeah, great chat. Um, hopefully... Um, People find it interesting talking about. I mean, like I said, you've got a great history of writing um, various things that you know, not just novels. Like I said screenplays as well, and there's a lot of information about the various projects that are going on, on your website, um, which is as I've got here, rjfoxwriter.wordpress.com. I got it right that time, the full thing. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you know, I do. Um, you can be found on Twitter at foxwriter7. And you can buy his books on Fish Out World Books website, which is fowbooks.com, amazon.com, and also Barnes & Noble. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll be back soon with another guest on the Various Artists Podcast.